1: What's up, Dolphin fans, and welcome into the Friday, October the 12th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Miami's offense is a walking, self-inflicted wound. I'll tell you how they are the only ones holding themselves back. Plus, your Twitter questions college picks, and the hope of a Dolphin dynasty starting within the next three years. I know, crazy, but allow me to explain on the podcast. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, share the podcast with a friend. It helps us grow and keeps the lights on so we can continue to provide analysis and information for you guys here on the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at NFL, follow the show at LockedOnFans, and of course... Lockedondolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And we have the Dolphin Drive Killers post up there live right now for you guys. So check that out. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And if you listened to the podcast yesterday, you know we have a full injury report. Let's go ahead and pull that up right now.
0: All right. And for the
1: Dolphins, some key names back at practice and looks like they're going to be ready to go for Sunday's game. We talked about Robert Quinn's injury and not being at practice on Wednesday. That was an excused Veterans Day off, so he is back and ready to go. Cameron Wake, again, did not practice, but it does sound like he has a chance to play in the game on Sunday. Really need him back for this game as well. TJ McDonald back at practice. Rashad Jones, good to go. And it sounds like Miami might get Andre Branch and AJ Derby back for this game. And Devontae Parker continues to be an absolute mystery. Nobody seems to know what his task will be for Sunday. As for the Bears, these guys are healthy, and it sounds like they're going to have everybody, a full staff, all hands on deck for them to get their fourth win of the season. So the Dolphins will have to navigate those waters. And for a full report on that game, check out the preview piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com or yesterday's podcast, the Thursday, October the 11th podcast. Let's go ahead and get this one started for Friday, October the 12th. That's another Miami Dolphins I was interested to look at what is causing the Dolphins so many breakdowns in terms of drives that get ruined because I go back to 2016 and even 2017 and I look at these things that they seem correctable, they seem avoidable, and all these mistakes the Dolphins continue to pile up on offense. That just flat out kills drives. And we, we know that holding penalties, negative runs, sacks, those things tend to cost teams drives and possessions and ultimately points, which for the Dolphins has been far too frequent over the last three years. I hope that coming into this year with the quarterback they wanted in place, with the program being three years old, that these things would start to dissipate. But the truth is they haven't at all. And we know that mistakes like turnovers are obvious or even third down sacks. I excluded those from this argument because I want to look at offensive penalties, both pre and post snap, sacks on first or second down and running plays that lose three or more yards because these are the mid drive killers that erase any opportunity from scoring when there is still a chance to score on that drive. So with that in mind, the Dolphins have made mistakes such as these 25 times through five games. On four such drives, there was multiple mistakes, meaning two mistakes. So 21 total drives out of the Dolphins' 55 possessions this year have been impacted by their own self-inflicted wounds that got them off the field. And on those 21 drives, the Dolphins only scored on two of them, both touchdowns, 14 points, giving you an average of 0.67 points per drive when the Dolphins fuck up in that manner. So about half their drives include these mess-ups, and on those drives, they score less than a point per drive. So that's A big reason why the offense is struggling so, so mightily right now. It's tough to get anything done when 38% of your drives are derailed by these self-inflicted wounds. The average team runs about 11 possessions per game or gets the ball for 11 possessions per game. And the Dolphins are at roughly four drives per game ended because of these mistakes. So that leaves them with seven possessions to get the job done. You say that drives are worth about two points each in the NFL. So let's call it four drives per game at two points per drive. That's eight points per game. The Dolphins are costing themselves, which they're scoring about 19 points per game. Give them eight more points per game. And there they are, a top 10 scoring offense. Now, that's not to say that these other teams don't have these same issues or ailments, but it just seems like for Miami, these things come up at the most costly times, whether it's a first down holding call that makes it second and 20 or a second down negative run that makes it third and 12, these things come up. End drives for most teams, and they definitely end drives for the Miami Dolphins. And not to mention, this doesn't even take into account the fact of drop passes or missed reads by Ryan Tannehill because I didn't include drops because they're kind of a a subjective stat, but you go back to last week against the Bengals, Kenyon Drake dropped that swing pass and he might've gotten tackled in the open field, but he had a chance one-on-one in the open field to make a guy miss and score a touchdown. And then there was a play later in the game where Ryan Tannehill actually completes a pass on a whip route to Danny Amendola, but he has Albert Wilson wide open over the middle and even Jakeem Grant streaking up the sideline On the other side of the field. So this team is mistake ridden on offense. if they can get it corrected, which you hope they do six weeks into the season, that's when things can kind of start to turn around and get back in the Dolphins' favor, which leads into the next idea I have on this first segment of the podcast here, the Friday podcast, and a reason for hope as it pertains to the offense, because with this team, it's all about slow starts, whether it's the game or the season, they start off slow no matter what, that has been something of a thing under Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gaze to an extent, but the good news is, Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gaze have both shown a propensity to respond when everyone is down on them when people want them fired or cut the parallels from this year to 2016 are really kind of eerie and we discussed this on a previous podcast but I think it bears repeating because these are always the moments when this team bounces back and as frustrating as it has been it is the truth that's what happens with this team not a guarantee it happens again but just to back some folks off the ledge we truly don't know what will happen on a week-to-week basis in this league that's the beauty of this league And I know I can be guilty of this at times too, but football fans always, always harp on the most recent failures or successes of any given team. Hell, go back to just 2016 when the Vikings and Broncos both started the season off 5-0 and missed the playoffs. And then there was little old Miami Dolphins at 1-4 getting in just three months later into the January tournament. So the point here is, guys, enjoy the ride. We wait all year for this time of year, so why not try and enjoy it as best we can? And to double down on the optimism and hope, just looking at Miami's next seven games, all these teams they play outside of, I'll call it one, should give them an opportunity to at least win the game. And I think this one this week, the Bears as three-point favorites down in Miami is probably the toughest game in terms of Outside circumstances, of course, the Thursday game in Houston is going to be difficult because of the travel on a short week. But Bears, Lions, Texans, Jets, Packers, Colts, and Bills, that's seven games that outside of the Packers game and maybe the Texans game, Miami has a good chance to win. And if they go 5-2 and two in that stretch, here they are at 8-4 and four heading into that New England game with a chance to really put the playoffs almost in the bag in that home game. And even if they only go 4-3 and three in that stretch, they are still at 7-5 and five with a chance to really get themselves in quality position after that Patriots game, heading into that tough stretch of Patriots, Vikings, Jaguars, and then at the Bills. So there is hope for this team. They have everything in front of them. They are going to be favored in a lot of these games if they play well, and I expect them to elevate their performance, especially on offense. You really can't get much worse. So... This season is far, far, far from over and we are going to have no live ad reads on the show today, which means after a quick message, we'll come back on the other side of the podcast here and answer your Twitter questions on the Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked on Fins.
0: Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
1: It is Friday, and you are probably either cruising into work or leaving work, hopefully, or maybe going to the gym. Whatever you're doing, it's Friday, and we have a Dolphins game coming up here in about 48 hours. But before we get to that, I want to answer your Twitter questions here as you guys once again produce fantastic content for the podcast and fill up an entire segment here on the Friday podcast. Let's go ahead and kick things off here first with Salvador Padilla. He is at S underscore Padilla 91. What do you think is the issue with Devontae Parker? He can never stay healthy. And when playing, he's never an impactful player. He'll never be the number one receiver we expected. What would you do in this situation? I think you just hang on to him for the rest of the season. I don't really care about getting a sixth round draft pick for him, I think he could provide more value just as a body on the field and possibly as a decoy, maybe a red zone option if we ever do get down there again into the red zone but I wouldn't trade him off. Just let him play out the string and, and basically end his own career in Miami this year. Next question comes from Octavio Mendez uh, Mendez L at Octo84. Last week, we saw at least two plays with swing passes to running backs that should have gone for big gains, maybe even touchdowns. Any chance those keep coming against aggressive Bears defense to slow down the rush? That has been a big part of the playbook so far, that swing pass. They actually opened both the Oakland and Tennessee game at home with that same play. The swing pass where Drake comes from the other side of the the formation and they swing it out to him for whatever it's a positive gain but i do think it's a big part of the playbook i think they want to extend Kenyon drake in the passing game so yes i definitely think we'll see more of that come sunday next question comes from jackson stayer at stayer jackson if the season continues trending down and playoffs don't look to be in our sight don't you think it would be worth giving david fails or brock a chance to play some regular season games see how they react i No, I don't. I mean, maybe David fails, but even then, I don't have a lot of faith in him. And Brock Osweiler, that's a resounding no. He has no future with this team and really probably not even in the league. So play out the string with Ryan Tannehill and then approach the draft maybe with an idea there. But again, I think the 2020 class will be better and we'll approach that here later in the podcast. Next question comes from Phil Duarte at your boy underscore Phil. The play calling has been so predictable on third, third downs, long and short range with the O-line dropping like flies. What do you think the offense could do to start moving the ball and getting out of these third and long down and distances or maybe even scoring on their first drive? What a novel concept that would be scoring on the first drive. I can't remember the last time the Dolphins did that but i would just point back to the first segment of the show and all these self-inflicted wounds whether it's penalties, negative plays, sacks and just get Ryan Tannehill more comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable right now and they're going to have to have him get to that level if the offense is going to bounce back. Next question comes from Nick Rob at they call me dragon. If you could pick one player from the past 10 years to join this team to take us to the next level, who would it be and why? I assume you mean Miami Dolphins, in which case I will take the 2008-2009 version of Ricky Williams because I think he could balance this offense out and turn Ryan Tannehill back into the play-action quarterback where he really excels. If we're talking about the entire NFL, Tom Brady. That one's pretty easy, I think. Next question comes from Sean Snoozer, at Sean Snoozer. Jones is playing with a torn labrum. If we lose this game, should we shut him down for the rest of the year so he can be healthy next season and give the younger guys a chance to develop? No, not this game, just because it'd be the third loss and I would never punt on the season after a third loss but if it continues to go that wrong direction maybe but I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's missed a lot of time because of that shoulder injury the last couple of years so no not yet and and probably not in the near future either next question comes from Gabe Genovisi at Gabe geno 13 is it crazy to think this might not be the end of Tannehill like so many are thinking from an extremely positive mindset my thought is we played on awful 20 minutes of football, move on and hope Tannehill finds his 2016 groove again. I think there's a chance for it. And people really have discounted the knee injury for him when it seems like Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz kind of got the excuse of the knee injury, but Tannehill didn't. And I understand those other players are more explosive and more exciting, but yeah, I think there's a chance he can come back and play better. He's always started slow in his career. So, while I'm kind of out on the idea of him as a long-term Super Bowl-winning quarterback answer, I do think he can bounce back and play good football still as soon as this season. So I I think you're right there, Gabe. There is still some hope for him. Next question comes from Rick Will Made It at CanaFins. What's the worst part about the possibility of Tannehill isn't our guy going forward, other than the fact that we wasted seven years and no one drafted, that we don't... Okay, so what's the worst part if Tannehill doesn't work out? I would just say the fact that this entire offseason was kind of centered around making Ryan Tannehill the best version of himself and the best quarterback he could be and while I don't think that has been the case as injuries have occurred and other things have happened to prevent him from getting there just the fact that we really went all in on Tannehill this season that would be the worst part if he didn't work out next question comes from Skylar Trunk at Skylar Trunk he is one of the writers at Locked On Dolphins what was your drink of choice from watching the film on the last two games I only ever drink water when I'm doing that just because I just like water the best and I don't really drink that much alcohol so just water I know it's boring, but it is what it is. Next question here comes from Corey Ashburn. He is at Corey, 13 Corey, I'm going to answer this question in the next segment, so I'm probably going to skip over it. But he asks, with this young emerging defense, maybe it's time to get a rookie quarterback and invest money into weapons around him to play in 2020. Your thoughts on that. My actually last segment of this show is about that. So I'm going to save that for you, Corey. Next question comes from Dante Antonelli at Antonelli Dante underscore. How many years, in your opinion, until we are playing in the Super Bowl? Again, I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a tough question to answer. Not going to happen this year, most likely. Probably not next year. But again, I'll talk about it more. In the next segment, like I mentioned, a couple of those questions there at the end are something I myself have thought a lot about this week regarding the future of this team and roster. We'll discuss that and my college picks next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins.
0: Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On.
1: One more segment on the podcast here, the October the 12th, Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast before we send you into the weekend, before we play the Chicago Bears in Miami at 1 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. And I mentioned a couple of questions on the other side of the podcast, the Twitter questions you guys asked about long-term future or the quarterback or just kind of overall team building for this Miami Dolphins team. And it was a segment that I wanted to get to, and I kind of thought about it throughout the week, but it feels more like a Friday segment, as Friday's kind of our irreverent show, our off-the-beaten-path show. So I want to talk about it right now to answer Corey's question, and the last one there, I forget the handle. But nonetheless, there's this modern age of building Super Bowl windows, or even potential dynasties, and I think it's important to separate those two, because even the great teams, they don't win multiple championships in a short period of time. In the modern NFL, it just doesn't happen anymore, and we'll exclude the New England Patriots just because they seem to be on a different plane than everyone else every single fucking year. But just looking at teams that put this approach into practice with success, the Seattle Seahawks did it with that defense. Russell Wilson on a very cheap contract, build that running game up around him. He's the big play element of the offense. They found themselves a Super Bowl champion. Probably should have been two Super Bowl championships. Nonetheless, they built that five-year window. And now on the other side of it, the defense has kind of fallen apart. Russell Wilson has the big contract, and they're back kind of in square one where other teams are in this purgatory range of the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles went ham on the quarterback position with Chase Daniels, Sam Bradford, but Carson Wentz's cheap contract ultimately allowed that team to continue to turn over the roster, find talent on both offense and defense, and they get themselves a Super Bowl championship, but even now, this year, going into the game tonight on Thursday, they are 2-3 and and kind of falling back behind the 8-ball, so like I said dynasty's tough, but you can find that Super Bowl window where a year where everything goes right can help you get a championship and now in the famed copycat league that we are in, look at how many other teams are trying the exact same blueprint the Los Angeles Rams uh, shit, they look unbeatable, and I So badly, want to have a year like they have where we just add all star after all star and then run the league over, it just looks like so much fun, and I'm super, super jealous of it, but then you've also got teams like the Chicago Bears, for instance they are trying the exact same thing with Mitch Trubisky, building up all those weapons around him, they go out and get Khalil Mack they feel like when they have a rookie quarterback on that cheap contract who can play serviceably in his first couple of years, you can build the rest of the team and be a dominant football team outside of your quarterback the Cleveland Browns kind of doing the exact same thing, Baker Mayfield, tons of money to Jarvis Landry, they're going to have to pay Miles Garrett yada 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 on and on and on I assume the New York Jets will probably do it next year these first round quarterbacks on a rookie deal frees up so much flexibility for the rest of the roster because rather than paying your quarterback 25 percent of the team's allotted salary cap figure you pay him a fraction of that something like three percent of the team cap and then you splurge on defense and support that quarterback with a skill set so how does this apply to the Miami Dolphins? Well, I think this defense is on its way to being something good, if not special. And I noted five impact players who were all on rookie deals and four of them are on really early on in their rookie deals. But the first one, Xavier Howard, in year three, he's going to have to get paid probably this summer, I would hope. I certainly don't want to lose that guy like we have with Rashard Matthews, Olivier Vernon, Lamar Miller, on and on and on and on. So he's in year three. Minka Fitzpatrick on his rookie deal. Jerome Baker, I know it's early to say this, but I think he's going to be a big impact linebacker for us. He's on his rookie deal. Devon Godshaw and Vincent Taylor, both in year two. So you have some time to let these guys grow and develop before you have to pay them. And if you pay them earlier rather than later, you can save money that way. Then you've already got Bobby McCain and Rashad Jones locked up for the foreseeable future. There's still some meat on the bone with Raekwon McMillan and even Charles Harris, though it's been rough on him so far. He still has a shot. So if Raekwon and Charles Harris, let's say one of those guys sticks. Now you've got six players on one side of the ball, impact players who are still very, very cheap and have the makings of a pretty good defense down the line. So let's go ahead and skip past the 2019 year in regards to the quarterback class. And please, before I say any of this other stuff, remember that Ryan Tannehill still has 11 games to get back on track. So this is all presumptive at this point. But let's just say that Miami continues to draft well on defense in 2019. They get the same guys in the system already growing up and developing in the system. Then you usher in this impressive 2020 draft class that's going to have Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. That's where Miami could attack the quarterback position, have a solid defense in place. Maybe they find some help on the offensive line in the meantime, some better receivers, some better running backs, whatever it is, build up this roster, and then go crazy on the quarterback like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. Go get one of your guys, whoever that guy might be. You put a rookie into the system that already has a potentially dynamite defense. Use some of that quarterback savings money on extending guys like Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, adding offensive pieces to surround your quarterback, That's Miami's path to one of those exciting five-year Super Bowl windows these other teams are experiencing, and the Dolphins really are nowhere near at this point. All right, time for one of my favorite segments of the week, the final segment of the week, my college picks for the weekend. Heading into week seven here, I am 14-10, and up 410 bucks on the season. But here are the week seven picks for the college landscape. As you guys know, I do six a week at this point. The first game up, Georgia minus seven against LSU. I think LSU is a little bit overrated at this point. Their offense not good enough to keep up with Jake Fromm and that Georgia offense. Ohio State giving 31 points to Minnesota. Minnesota might not have their quarterback. Ohio State, I think, is ready for one of those big blowout games. I got the Buckeyes and the 31 points. Washington is going to Oregon. Or welcoming in Oregon at minus three, give me the dogs and the favorites there at home against the Oregon Ducks. Illinois is getting ten points against Purdue, a Purdue team that's not that good. Illinois sucks too, but let's give me the points and the Illinois Fighting Illini. Wisconsin is getting eight and a half at Michigan. I don't think Michigan's. I think Michigan's better, but I don't think they're very good. So I would take the Badgers and the points there. And then another underdog here to finish the night up, the Arizona Wildcats getting 13.5 points against Utah. The Utah Utes have played very well so far, a very uh, physically stout team, but I think the Arizona Wildcats can keep it within two touchdowns. So Georgia, Ohio State, Washington, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Arizona. So hopefully the winning ways continue into week seven of the college football landscape. And hopefully for our Miami Dolphins, we get back on track at four and two. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday night, Monday morning for the recap podcast. But as for this podcast, that is my time. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, share it with a friend. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday for a recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.